summer foundation was set up to stop young people from being forced to live in nursing homes um, we've now been going for just over 10 years um, there are four key planks that we work under to try and achieve that mission one is to ensure that all young people in nursing homes or those at risk of nursing homes do get access to the NDIS because it is the thing that will make a difference we think to everybody in terms of that goal of not being forced into a nursing home We've been doing some housing projects to try and show what is possible in terms of alternative ways of delivering housing to people so that nursing homes aren't the only option that's available. Um, we are actually in the process of updating this and, and, and our, our um, work here at the Summer Foundation continues to evolve all the time, but we've moved from what was um, a, a goal around preventing people um, from going into nursing homes to really looking at the interface between health and the aged care system and the NDIS. So prevention is part of our goal still, but it actually is looking more about how do we do that interfaces, um, how do we improve that interface under the new scheme so that people get better outcomes. And then the final sort of plank of our work really is around how do we ensure that the health system ongoing is available appropriately to people with complex disabilities too. So there's some issues there around how the health system has been set up, how it may need to be set up under the NDIS, and how do we make that um, interface work on, the long, on an ongoing basis. So not just to prevent people from going into nursing homes, but to ensure that they have long-term health supports as well as, um, as well as the NDIS. And there are a couple of ways in which we do our work. So Di Winkler, who's the founder and the CEO of our organisation, really wanted to make sure that we do collect evidence around what's going on. So an emphasis on research and developing evidence from what people's experience is so that we can be true to what it actually is that we're trying to achieve. Um, as many of you all know, that we do um, collections of stories and we assist people to tell their own story about their journeys and help them to actually then tell their stories in effective ways that will convince other people about the need for this work to be done. And many of you will have seen the digital stories that are on our website too and you can access them at any time. We do what are we calling prototypes. So rather than being a provider of services, what we're trying to do is to show how services might be able to be set up to achieve good outcomes for people either in nursing homes or with complex needs. And we do that by prototyping stuff. So we'll test something out. It might be a housing project. It might be a project about how you access the NDIS. We'll document that and then we'll try and actually influence the way the system works so that that can be rolled out across Australia. So that idea about prototyping so that we can demonstrate what can be done what are the best possible practices that can be done and then share that with the rest of the world. And um, in a sense, what we're saying is we are an open source. That word open source means we will learn, but we will share that information. We're not there to just to hog that information for ourselves in a sense. So the more sharing we can do, the better outcomes we think for everybody across Australia. And then the final thing is we're working on this idea of becoming a knowledge hub or a place where you can guarantee if you come to one place you'll find out everything you might need to know or at least be directed to where you need to um, uh, where you'll find good information about this issue so they're the four sort of practical things in a sense that we're doing as the summer foundation what we want to do though rather than rabbit on too much about us and about what the day's about um, what we're trying to concentrate on today is developing resources on health needs so that you as potential participants in the NDIS can be well equipped to be able to go into that scheme and get the outcomes that you need. I do want to acknowledge that there is already quite a lot of concern being expressed about the way the NDIS defines what they can and can't fund, but we'll go into a bit more of that a bit later. What we're really keen to do at this point in time though is to capture what your health needs are or what they might be in the next couple of years and identify where there might be gaps so that we actually can, in a sense can actually put together a like a definitive or at least a sort of a comprehensive list of the various health support needs that might be involved in your lives. And so the exercise first off really that we wanted to do was to actually spend some time collating the material that you have brought with you today in a sense. 
Um, and if, if we can then collate that material and discuss it and put it in a form that we can share with others, then we think that will be a benefit beyond this room as well. So we've provided you with a worksheet. Um, is that on the tables, Penny? Okay. And the worksheet will help you to just go through a small 10-minute process of identifying, as I said, what are the services that, in health that you currently use and what might be the services you might need you expect in the next few years. And so then what we'll be able to do then is actually have a bit of a conversation so we can try and get a comprehensive list about what that might look like. And then we'll have a bit of a conversation to try and jot that up on, the white, on a bit of butcher's paper and so we can then actually use that um, for other people. So is that clear? We'll just have about 10 minutes at the tables for you to start just jotting down that information around, as I said, what health needs you're currently experiencing and what actually might be needed in the next couple of years. Um, what I'd like to now do is move the conversation on a little bit and introduce Bronwyn Harding here, who's actually the um, manager of disability services programs at Monash Health. But for many of us, including me, I know Bronwyn as the manager of the ABI Slattery Cover Program and what was it, 13 years in that position, Bronwyn? So a very um, comprehensive understanding of the area of one of the key parts of the Young People in Nursing Homes group, which is people with complex brain injuries. Um, but Bronwyn also has a lot of experience in the general health system too. So we've asked um, Bronwyn, and thanks for your time, Bronwyn, today, just to go through her experiences and some of the information that she's picked up around people who have transitioned into the NDIS so far. Thanks, Bronwyn. Thanks, Tom. Hopefully, um, what I'm going to add today will just um, build on what we've already done this morning. So, just to give you a bit of background about who I am, um, I have a background in nursing, um, but I've spent the last 18 years working in the community in the disability sector. I just want to be really clear that I'm not an expert on the NDIS, um, but I'm certainly have some insight and uh, you know for slow to recover clients we've had a couple who have transitioned over to the NDIS so we've got some learnings. Um, I certainly think that collectively in the room we've certainly got a bit of knowledge and hopefully it's about sharing that information today and building on that. Um, I do have some knowledge I guess around the health system and perhaps how disability and health interface and I think that's a, a crucial part of what we've certainly been doing this morning and hopefully some of the, um, the questions that I'll be asking you might help you to build on that. Um, and I hope today's about tapping into, as I said, the collective expertise because I'm certainly no expert. I just wanted to touch on change and I'm just really aware in managing um, the ABI Slow to Recover program and supporting the few people that we have to transition over to the NDIS that, you know, change, that change when you've been um, receiving a service that you're quite happy with, you've got a team of people around you that have been supporting you to then to then um, uproot that if you like and have to shift into something that might be looking quite different can make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and I think that's fair and reasonable and I think it's helpful to kind of acknowledge that when, you, when you're moving through that. Um, I think that being prepared and certainly having uh, a bit of understanding and and having some some questions or some some of your needs documented before you go into that planning session can be very helpful and having an understanding of what the NDIS can and can't provide can be really helpful when you're going into that space because you're not then feeling frustrated that you're asking for things that they're likely to knock back so you're a bit prepared for what they can and can't provide from the get-go which I think is, is helpful. And we hope that by being prepared that this will help you to identify what you consider to be essential, what you consider to be ideal. So, you know, there might be some things where you go, this is, this is an absolutely essential part of my daily care routine. I'm dependent on this service to live um, in a healthy and safe way in the community. There might be some things that you would like to do, but it's not really a deal breaker. 
And then there's some things that you might be flexible about. So there might be some things that you think would be the icing or the cherry on top of the cake, but it's not gonna be a, a deal breaker. So I guess when I was talking to Penny about coming along today, um, our discussion was really around helping you to be able to leave with a one pager that will help you to prepare um, on your journey as you transition over to the NDIS and be prepared for that planning meeting. Um, an opportunity to document all of your current needs. Sometimes your current needs or the needs of the person that you're supporting are all kind of locked in your head. Um, and we don't often make that time or the space to sit down and actually document that. And I think that that can be helpful to just have that documented and to be prepared. Um, and documenting, thinking about what a good day looks like, you know, having an opportunity to sort of dream and think. Um, the NDIS, along with change, is also an opportunity. So there's certainly things that um, the NDIS has funded for people on the Slow to Recover program, for example, that we weren't able to, to fund. So there is an opportunity there to dream about what a good day looks like and to think about what supports you might need or the person that you're supporting might need on a daily basis to have a good life or to have a good day. And think about what puts you and your health at risk. So just being aware of those things, what, what, are, the, what are the risky areas? Being prepared, we acknowledge that the unknown and change can be frightening, but we hope that by doing some preparation that you'll be you know, a little bit clearer and a little less um, frightened about this change process and a bit more empowered when you go into that meeting. We aim to start you thinking about what supports you would like and what you may currently not receive. And we hope to be able to start the process of familiarising, I'm going to have trouble with that word, with the language that you need to get your head around um, when you're talking to an NDIS planner. So the language that they will use will be different to the language that perhaps you've been used to using, especially if you've been receiving rehabilitation. And I think there's lots of kind of changing language there. So we're, we're using things like rehabilitation, getting better, um, developing your skills, whereas the NDIS will, will use language like, um, you know, maintaining your function. So <laughs> it's just a shift in language, um, but it's something that you have to get your head around because if you start using the wrong language, they'll be very clear about, we don't fund that. But if you can reframe that into the language that they're happy to use, then it might be funded under a different name or a different phrase. So that's the kind of take home message today really is to get your head around the language that the NDIS use. So building on what Tom has already done, I've just formulated some, some further questions, I guess, to think about and perhaps to build on that one pager. Um, you've got your little worksheets there, um, you've got your pens, and I just wanted to start asking you lots of questions about things that you might want to consider when you're looking at your health needs and your ongoing health needs and how that might interface with the National Disability Insurance Scheme moving forward. So if we start off at the very beginning of the day, I think sometimes looking at what your needs are in a 24 hour cycle can be a good way of actually framing what your support needs might be. So what assistance, including weekends, do you need on a daily basis? So when you're thinking about you wake up in the morning, getting up in the morning, what sort of supports do you need to be able to get out of bed? Is it just about somebody prompting you to do that? Is it some, do you need full assistance? Do you need two people to assist you? What does that actually look like? So thinking about what your needs are just to get up in the morning. Yeah, so if you're starting at the beginning of the day, what sort of supports do you need to get up in the morning just to get out of bed? And then what sort of assistance do you require with your personal hygiene routine? So do you need full assistance to have a shower or is it just somebody prompting you or, or you know, handing you bits and pieces to be able to, to shower? What does that look like? 
what does it look like um, you know getting dressed do you need somebody to to fully assist you with getting dressed or is that something that you can do with prompting or a little bit of help and once again thinking about whether you need more than one person to assist you and do you need some specialized equipment to assist you to be able to do that so that might be that you need a, a, a custom-made shower chair for example Okay, and then we move on to breakfast. What does that look like? Do you need full assistance to be able to um, to get your breakfast together? Does it need just you just need some prompts? Do you need you know, a bit of minor assistance? Um, maybe you're not able to eat at all, and does that mean that you need to consider what feeding looks like? Some people might have a peg tube, for example. What does that look like? How do we manage that? Once you once you're dressed for the dressed for the day and you've had your breakfast, what does the rest of the morning look like? What would you like to do? How do you fill in your time? What's meaningful for you? And this is where the dreaming bit starts to happen. I think. And then we just move on thinking about what supports you need for lunch and then afternoon, how you like to spend your time, what you'd like to do, what assistance you need for your evening meal, what assistance you might need to get into bed at night. And then do you need supports overnight? That's another important thing to consider. And what does that look like? Is that just about um, having somebody available if you need them or is yes. it about having somebody check on you on a regular basis then I just not wanted to touch on the training needs of the people working with you often when you've got um, you know complex health and um, disability needs people need support to be able to uh, and training to be able to know how to work with you in the best possible way so just just opening up that conversation about what is it what what kind of supports you need and who would be the best person to train the people who are supporting you so if you've got very complex needs you might need some allied health professional support to train the workers that are working with you for example so you know you might need an occupational therapist to come out once a month and train the workers who are working with you to make sure that you're seated in your wheelchair appropriately to check your equipment you might need a physiotherapist who can come and check on you once a month and just make sure that you know the person who was walking with you was doing that in the right way. So just thinking about those sorts of things, what, what support the people who are supporting you, what training and support they need to be able to do their jobs well. Uh, and does the training need to be delivered by a professional or can it, can it be something that, that a family member might do, that they, they take on that role of training new people and how will you deliver that? How often does, does that training need to be updated? And it's around, do your support needs keep changing? Are you, are you getting better? Or are there aspects of your care that you're needing more care on a regular basis? So, you know, as we, unfortunately, as we get older, sometimes our needs change. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, what does that look like? Are you in that position where you are getting older and you're perhaps needing a little bit more support? Or perhaps your early days from an event that's happened to you and you're still in sort of recovery mode and you're still getting slightly better and your needs are getting slightly less as you go along. And just thinking about equipment needs, I think this is, this is a bit that kind of um, causes me a little bit of anxiety under the National Disability Insurance Scheme because I think that often if you've got complex care needs, you've got complex equipment needs. And who's going to monitor that? Who's going to make sure that the piece of equipment that you've got in your home is still meeting your needs? Especially if you're changing. Things like wheelchairs need to be checked on a regular basis. 
the, you know, you need to be checked that you're sitting right in your wheelchair. You need to check that, you know, if you've got a shower chair, that it's, that it's meeting your needs in an ongoing way. If you've got a hoist and a sling, who's checking that? Making sure that it's serviced every year, making sure that it's, you know, that it's up to speed. Um, so building that into your plan, I think, is really important. The more complex those needs are, the, the more you're going to have to think about that. And um, That would be an occupational therapist, I think, building that into a plan. I need an occupational therapist to come out every six months to check my equipment and to make sure that it's still meeting my needs. Um, and what do you do if your equipment breaks down is the other thing. You know, making sure that you've got all those things lined up, that you know what to do if your equipment malfunctions. And then just building on the health needs. So some of the questions that I was sort of asking was, um, you know, the biggest concerns that we have for people with complex care needs are around skin integrity and chest infections are the two big risk areas for us. So for clients on the ABI Slow to Recover program, the majority of hospital admissions that we would see in a year for our client group are for either skin, a skin breakdown or chest infections. So if you've ever had a pressure wound, then you need to be thinking about how you're going to manage that in the future. Who checks your skin on a regular basis? Is that something that you're, um, you know, if you're getting, if you're getting uh, attendant care support with your personal hygiene routine in the morning, are they trained to check your skin to make sure that it's intact and it's looking okay? And what do they do if they notice that your skin's red or you've got a little skin tear? Who do they report that to? Who's going to manage that? So I think that's thinking about the, the GP involvement. You also might have Royal District Nursing Service involved. Um, you know, you might be contacting them if you've got a wound. Um, you might also want to build that into your plan with an occupational therapist to make sure that, that all your equipment's meeting your needs and minimising that risk of skin integrity. Um, have you been admitted into hospital in the last, you know, 12 months with a chest infection or with a urinary tract infection? It's another common one. Um, and thinking about how you're going to prevent those hospital admissions, who would be the best person to be, to be monitoring and checking that? So you might have a physiotherapist in your plan who would be just checking that your posture's right, that you, you know, that you, that you, you're okay. Um, that your chest is clear, all of that sort of stuff. Thinking about who will pick those those early signs up, who will be the person who will be looking out for those sorts of problems early. Um, and it, have you been frequently admitted to hospital because of your disability? And how are you supported to stay in hospital? So thinking about what support needs you might need when you go into hospital. And this is where the interface um, between hospital and, and the NDIS will really interact. So um, the NDIS, and I have to get this very clear in my head, is very clear that, you know, they're there to support your, your disability needs. But there might be occasions where uh, you're admitted to hospital and you still have needs that would be above what the hospital might be able to provide. So often, you know, that might be around your communication needs. Um, so building that into your plan, especially if you're having regular, if you have been had regular visits to hospital, it might be important to build that into your plan so that you've got, you've got the capacity to be able to have the attendant carers go in and, and be with you when, when you're in hospital to be able to support your communication needs or to be able to support um, you know your other functional needs above what the hospital can provide. I think that's a really important one. So are you allowed to do that? Yes, if it's built into your plan, you are. You are. But it's around what needs what your what your needs would be for your disability. Could that be. would sit outside your medical needs. Could be or would be. So the thing they might say, oh, look, that, how long does that happen? That, that's not likely to happen, is it? And they, would they still put funding in for that? 
Um, no, you'd probably need to be able to demonstrate. Look, I've had three admissions to hospital in the last 12 months. It seems to be a regular pattern for me. When I go to hospital, the nurses have a real struggle in understanding what my needs are. I have an attendant carer who's happy to come into the hospital each day for a couple of hours and can communicate my needs to the nursing staff and I think it's important that that's in my plan. So it's that sort of stuff, yeah. Or I have an attendant carer who's really good at knowing, you know, they'll want me to be sitting out of bed for a short time each afternoon. I'd really like my attendant carer to come in at that period of time because they know exactly how to position me in my wheelchair, yeah. But you, I think you'd have to demonstrate that you've, you've, you've been in hospital and you've needed that support when you've been in hospital in the past in order to. So it's a bit sort of, it's a bit like putting the, um, the cart before the horse, but you have to kind of demonstrate that you need the cart if you like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is one of those examples where some people I think have heard that when you go into the hospital, you can no longer get NDIS support. Yes. The way you frame it. That's right. It's exactly, it's about learning the language, how you frame that. Yeah. So meeting with the NDIS planner, um, be clear about who the planner from the NDIS should speak to. We've had, certainly had incidents where um, NDIS planners have spoken to potential participants and the participant has perhaps not understood um, who they were or what they were calling for and said, no, thank you very much, I don't need that service and hung up. So it's about making it clear, I guess, who they should be communicating with and making sure that all those people are at the table. You can certainly um, ask for, and I would encourage if you've got complex needs that you ask for a face-to-face -face meeting rather than doing that over the telephone. That way you can have people around you who can support you and, and understand what your needs are. And I think face-to-face -face is always a bit easier when you're discussing your needs than trying to have that conversation over the phone. Have your plan ready, have, have your needs well documented I think is really helpful when you're going into the meeting so you're very clear about what your support needs are. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and if you don't agree with the plan, you do have the right to appeal, so knowing that. What we thought I might just do is just do some general sort of discussion now around a bit more of the stuff to do with what the NDIS is like and um, look at a couple of key aspects that I guess as Summer Foundation we've been learning ourselves. Um, and. The context of this is that we know that there is actually a bit of a challenge in terms of bringing what the NDIS funds and what the health system funds into some alignment so that people get their whole of their needs met through their, both their health needs and their disability needs met. But there are certain things around the NDIS, NDIS that we do know and as I said before we're all learning and the process is still a little bit um, uh, flexible and, and, and developing as we speak and we're not really expecting it to be a thoroughly grounded scheme probably for another couple of years still. Some of that means of course that in fact while there is some flexibility there is the chance to influence it as well and that's why we're very keen to do this work now. So just a couple of points. Um, it is very clear and the way the NDIS was constructed that everything somebody needs to live well um, won't be funded through the NDIS. The NDIS is a scheme set up to provide disability supports and they talk about disability supports in a particular way but the framework in which it was introduced was to say there are a whole lot of other mainstream, what they call mainstream interfaces which also need to pick up their game. So the health system, the transport system, the education system, uh, the criminal justice system, all of these other systems that people might interact, interact with also need to be seen, need to be doing things differently because of the NDIS. And some of you may know there is this thing called the National Disability Strategy which actually informs the way people with disabilities lives can be improved across the nation and the NDIS is only one aspect of what that National Dis Disability Strategy is about. So just be aware that not everything that you might need to live well is going to be able to be funded through the NDIS. There is a particular expectation that the health system will provide services so that they complement 
the way the NDIS operates. Now, I think our experience so far is showing that the health system is not yet ready to do that. Um, the health system is still developing. They are under a lot of pressure as well. And one of the key things, for example, and we've got a great example with Bromham being here, is the concept of slow stream rehabilitation is something that's actually quite unique to Victoria in the way that program is operating. But the idea of transforming that sort of a program into the new system under the NDIS is a, quite a challenge because rehabilitation, as Bronwyn said, is not something that the NDIS regards itself as being able to provide. But we know for people with complex brain injuries that you actually need a rehabilitative framework at least to work within and provide your disability services at least for a period of time so that the improvements that you can get after your brain injury can come through. So this is still work in progress, but just be aware the health system is supposed to be able to respond to the needs of people with disability, and they will need to pick up their game to do that, and I think that's pretty clear. There are a list of possible supports that the NDIS funds, and that list is continuing to change. And I think we heard before, language is actually very important in this discussion. So what the health system might describe in one way might be described under a disability framework in another way. Um, and it really is informed by what is called a price guide. And when you go to the NDIS, you will see in the NDIS site, there is a list of different things that they will fund. And some of them may be things that you think might look like, in your interpretation of what a, like a particular fun, uh, activity might be, might not sound like what you need. But if you're actually really across that price guide and you know the various things that are fundable, and you can make sure that what your needs are align with those, then you can actually press to make sure that they're funded under those prices. So I think we have got back here, I can't remember where we were. Oh, it's forward, is it? This is an example of what is the price guide. And under the price guide there, it's, it's a, I think it's like, I don't know how many pages long it is now, but there are various sections. So under this section, which is improved health and wellbeing, there are support items that are listed. And those are the things that actually have a costing that the NDIS can then provide you with. Um, there is on the tables a more um, detailed version of that, but the actual price guide is something that keeps evolving as well. And it is really useful if you actually are across that price guide, because then you can actually say to a planner, I can see in this price guide that this particular activity could be funded under this, this particular um, definition. And even though it does seem like, why should you have to be the one who actually understands this, it is helpful if you do understand and have a bit of a, bit of a working knowledge of what the price guide looks like. There is something that the NDIS regards as being their territory and they're talking about the issue about what's generally provided under the NDIS is functional support that actually supports you, your functional needs as somebody with a disability. What the health system tends to talk about is either clinical or rehabilitation type of, fun of things and functional and clinical tend to be um, definitions that exclude each other in a sense. So. If you want rehabilitation, you're much better to talk about that, I think as Bromer mentioned earlier, as something that has a functional, um, uh, functional requirement for your life. Because if you say the word rehabilitation, they will audit, the planner will like, most likely say, oh, well, we don't fund that, that's a health responsibility. So it is good to get at least some working knowledge about these, termino these particular terms. And, Supporting people to live well in the community and to support their functional needs as for somebody with a disability is a really important thing to get your head around because that's the framework that sort of sits underneath the NDIS. So keep an eye on the NDIS website, have a look at that, fund, at that um, price guide get to know some of the terminologies that the NDIS uses and you'll be better equipped to have the conversation with the planner. So now what we would like to do is actually go back into more of a sort of a workshopping situation for a, for a little while um, and concentrate on, with all the knowledge that we've been presenting and discussions that have been had today, 
how we can help you to prepare your own, um, um, help to prepare for a planning episode with the NDIS. So Bronwyn's presentation, I think, has given a whole lot of really great information around what are the particular questions that might help you to prepare for it. As I've said before, our experience in the Summer Foundation across our work in the last couple of years with the NDIS is really saying that if you've got good preparation, and in some cases if you've got a strong advocate on your side, good outcomes or even great outcomes are possible under the NDIS. And even hearing the stories about some of the things that have gone wrong shouldn't deter you from thinking you can still get a good outcome through the NDIS. But it is very difficult to ignore that sometimes, and this is very clear, there have been some woefully inadequate outcomes from planning too. So just be aware that the process can feel like a bit of a lottery, but the better equipped you are, the better you'll be in terms of getting an outcome. And if there is one bit of universal advice that seems to come from everybody who's been through the experience, preparing well for the planning process and knowing what the NDIS's constraints are and what they can and can't fund is actually really helpful. What I'll do now is hand over to Penny so that she can now take you through the process that we think will be helpful for you in terms of preparing for the planning session. Look, I've just um, mocked up a template and you can rewrite this in any way that makes sense to you, but an NDIS plan has got space for two goals. If you're a young person living in a nursing home and you want to exit, it's really important that that's one of your goals and that there's a whole lot of um, other things that sit underneath that primary goal. If your plan comes back and it, it's inadequate and you haven't identified that it's inadequate in relation to your goal, you're going to have trouble uh, getting a plan that meets your needs. So think really carefully. You've really got two big goals. So that's just a prompt there. I don't expect you to fill that in today. Um, we would say that people with disability have many goals, but they have a software system that accepts only two. So two big ones, two big overarching goals, and then make these little goals underneath that. Uh, in the time that, perhaps for the next 40 minutes or so, what I'd like you to do is, thinking about some of the discussions we've already had, is perhaps refine down what your disability health support needs are. And I'm encouraging people to think of that as a new term, my disability health support needs, because I think, as Grace pointed out, it's really hard for an individual to separate those out, and that should be probably some of the, um, you know, you should go into your planning meeting pretty well armed with that argument. And in our experience with DHHS, before we had the NDIS, they really didn't want to fund things until you'd shown that you had tried to get them funded everywhere else. So we know that you can get something funded under the existing health system. I think it's important to say that I'm currently involved with these health systems to get my needs met. And then what's outstanding is pretty clearly something that needs to be funded by the NDIS. So I encourage you to spend a bit of time doing that. And either today or at some later time, you can put what you've got as an item and then try and find something in the price guide that funds that. Now this is not the price guide in its entirety. This is, I just wanted to show you some of the things that are in the price guide that do relate to people with complex needs. There's plenty more there. It's, look, it's huge, the price guide, and there's also an Excel spreadsheet that gets way down into the nitty gritty. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but it gives you an idea of the sorts of things that they do fund and the sorts of language that you need to be familiar with. So are people happy to spend some time working on their worksheet? And would anyone like some more assistance with that or is there anything that's unclear with this? So. Yeah, Penny, thanks. Um, uh, I'm thinking of a million goals. Uh, you're telling me two. Can you give me an example of... Um, I'm trying to think, okay, you create two main goals and you put all these uh, sub-goals underneath. But can you... What might be key goals? Now, one might be to live in the community, but that might be a number... Like, I'm thinking for my situation, my son, it would be, we've got a short-term goal there to create 
a better environment where he's currently living, but the longer term would be because you can't create um, uh, living options, uh, you know, in the community overnight. Um, you know, for if you if you need special disability accommodation, it takes time, years. You know. Do you okay, know? I do. I could, I've got some uh, thoughts about that. So one thing is, I think I would still make my first goal is to exit aged care and live in the community with appropriate supports that support my health and well-being. And then my second goal might be to maximise my health and well-being and community access in my current living situation. And then your subsequent goal, like within the first one, would be I want um, I want stated in my plan that I'm eligible for specialist disability accommodation payments. I want a housing options package in my plan. I want support coordination in my plan. I want you know those are the sorts of things that would be required to enable your son to exit aged care and and live in the community that would be goal one goal two is is really about maximizing my life in my current arrangement but i certainly wouldn't give up goal one or think about doing that in plan two i would have that in plan one front and center because we're trying to create isn't it? I mean, we went over this in the SDA workshop, but people who are thinking about building and developing specialist disability accommodation want to know that people have got it in their plans. So you need to get it in your plan so we can go to the market and say there's 6,252 people in aged care now who, have, who are eligible for that payment, who are looking for housing, go and build some because the payments will flow through. Uh, yeah, and yet in designing or determining what they were going to build, they need to know what those people need. Uh, do you know what I mean? You can't just go, okay, whack some houses here, there, and I know you might have covered it in the workshop, and I'm sorry I couldn't attend it, but, but um, uh, you know, the, the housing would need to fit the needs of, you know, some people can live independently or semi-independently, other people will need you know, 24-7 uh, support, different types of accommodation. So I think the sector at the moment is looking at coming up with a resource that allows people to find providers, housing providers, and, and okay. housing providers to find people with disability. And, and it is our experience that the earlier you find a tenant and build the accessibility required by that particular tenant into that housing situation, the lower costs you've got overall. So, yeah, we're hoping that that's the way that this progresses. So whatever that means for you, that might mean to exit aged care over the next 12 months or to build my capacity to exit aged care or to build my capacity to move out from my parental home into my own home. You need to be really quite clear and that needs to reflect your current situation and your, your future aspiration. And the second goal, I think, is really um, about having a good life that's meaningful to you and that that's defined by you. So that might be, you know, increasing access to the community. It might be employment. It might be uh, further education. There's a whole range of things there. And the price guide will probably also prompt you as to what some of your goals might be. Does anyone want to add to that? So you, you broke it down into two goals with the, the basic number one goal is live in the community with appropriate support by da -da 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 -da. And, then, and then the second goal is about the quality of your day-to-day -day life and supports to, supports to have that um, including uh, your current living arrangements would that go into goal two do you know yeah, what I, mean? I think I think it would be to maximize my health and well-being and community access within my current living arrangements I think one, one thing um, that Michael was mentioning around the housing thing is we know that the um, the way that the NDIS is framing this is that they're saying if you've got complex needs and you need to um, and you want to change your housing environment then they're framing what you can get in your plan as a, what they call a housing options package. And that housing option package assumes a couple of things, that you'll probably need somebody with a support coordination type of role. 
to help to explore what options there are out there and to explore the sorts of skills and and um, additional uh, types of activities that you might need to practice to be able to live more independently. So it is probably worthwhile just keeping that in mind that there is this terminology that they're using for the housing support package, which is for people who want to change. And in our circumstance around young people in nursing homes, of course, it's people wanting to move out of nursing homes. But it is worthwhile just keeping that in mind because changing housing as a goal actually will trigger this idea that maybe a housing support package is something that would be useful for you. And that will probably involve access to some allied health assessments and supports in terms of what particular types of um, uh, housing that might be suitable to you. Um, and also some perhaps some attendance support or something to assist you to actually go out and find what sort of housing options there are out there. So it's almost a template that though, if you ask for that, then they well, it's not going to be automatic, but they have framed this idea of a sort of a housing support package as one of the things that they'll fund if you if you have in your plan the, the, the desire to change your housing situation. And if you're going for that package, we recommend that you're trying to advocate for five allied health assessments and 50 hours of housing support coordination. So while we're actually talking about the planning meeting, there's a number of ways that your supports can be managed. So you can self-manage them. You can um, have an intermediary manage them or the NDIA can pay the provider directly. Really give some consideration about managing the payments yourself because if you do that you actually don't have to employ a registered NDIS provider. You've got much more scope as to who you can employ and you can also have much more scope within a broad support category to move your funds around. So you can buy like for like, but you can, you can change the emphasis and it can be um, much more personalised to your particular circumstances at any given moment. If you're relying on the NDIA to pay the provider, that sort of cuts out any opportunity to chop and change. And um, if, you're, if you go down the financial intermediary process, you might find that they're not as responsive as you'd like them to be in that situation. So if you have the capacity to manage your own supports, it's probably worth giving it a try. Maybe not your first plan, maybe your second plan when you're up and running with the portal, but do, do consider that as a, a definite option. And, and Bronwyn wants me to point out that there's some risks with that. So there's risk and responsibility with that. And also I say that you don't need to do everything. You don't need to self-manage yeah. everything. Since the self-managed, maybe your physio-OT side of it, and then have your carers provided to an agency. Yep. So does everyone understand that? You can choose what area of your plan and what supports you want to self-manage and what you'd like someone else to manage. And, and the support workers, can they be uh, friends or family? If you're managing your own supports, they could be friends. I'm not clear on family. But it can't be family. Can't be family. No, but only allow family is if you have a course that's all other options. And if there is a process in place to move towards, but not for the family. So they only allow family if you've exhausted all other options and you've got a process in place to move to it not being family. Within six months. Sailing. Sailing. your two options if you're not happy with your plan. So I just um, typed up this slide in lunchtime. 
So you could, there is a format called a plan review that you can request and this is what the NDIA will encourage you to do and it's also what your planner will encourage you to do if you get back and say, I'm not happy. Um, there's a, as with everything, there is a form on the website that's pretty a template and you can just fill it in and um, email it or send it off. So for a request for a plan review, aware that your circumstances need to have changed. Now if your plan has just not understood you, not understood your disability, not understood your health needs and not understood your goals, but your circumstances haven't changed, there's not much point going down that option. Generally I would suggest that you go for an internal review of a decision and if you're unhappy with that review, you can then take it to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and you're assisting in the development of case law for this scheme. So your, you know, your circumstances don't have to have changed for the second option. It's pretty much saying that the planner didn't get it and I'm really unhappy with what I've got. So I would be encouraging you to go to the second option. And I would say with that, um, that you have 90 days from the date on your letter or the date on your plan. So all plans come with saying this plan is valid from the 1st of March 2017 till the 1st of March 2018. So you've got 90 days from the 1st of March to get this form lodged. Um, if you s myself, I still like to send things um, through the post, hard copy, and I would be encouraging you to send a registered mail and get a receipt. Um, just because bureaucracies are not always good at keeping track of things. So sometimes what you're going to be encouraged to do is not going to be in your best interests. So what I would be concerned about is if you do a plan review and by the time they get back to you with that and say, well, your circumstances haven't changed, so you're ineligible for a plan review, you've exhausted your 90 days to do an internal review. So just, just go for the big one first off. Now these workshops really rely on your feedback to make them better, better target them and also for us to know the future workshops that we should run and also the information from this workshop that we should put on the report and make available to people who can't be here today but who are interested in this information. So it's possible that we would include information in our workshop report which we didn't provide to you today but which you said you would have liked to have seen. So really help me if you'd spend five minutes um, writing me a note on the feedback form and telling me what we got right and the areas that we haven't covered and suggestions for what we should do in the future. Thank you very much for your participation. Thank you. Thank you, Roman, and thanks, Tom.